Hi, welcome to Box Talk. This is your host, Tiffany Garrigus. I am totally obsessed with health and fitness and wellness and mental health and all these beautiful things in between. So that is why we have this podcast. And if you are interested in learning more than what you know, then definitely stay tuned because I have an amazing next guest. So get your seatbelt buckled and get ready for your ride. This topic is interesting. Um, I think it's probably one of the most untalked about things, but yet it's being talked about a lot. Uh, And that is our mental health, mental health awareness. Um, Today, my guest is Alex. And on his Instagram, he's the tattooed therapist. I love his name because his profile is all about the work that he does and then he like jams in with a bit of like arm work, some nice pieces, some artists, pretty cool. Um, The guy has got two sleeves going on so this would be why. (laughs) But Alex is, um, he specializes as a mental health practitioner therapist I'd like to say but what his direction really goes towards men and masculinity um, and mental health and everything in between so most of his clients are male and why this was so intriguing for me is because I do I'm totally on board with yeah rah rah women but it takes, it takes men and women to make this world work and it can take us to make it not work. So we can't do one without the other. So I think men's mental health is so important along with everybody else's, but sometimes you just need to specialize. So this, this particular topic, I really feel like I could have talked to Alex for a lot longer. There was there was so many, so much value to what he was saying in regards to what what we're kind of thinking, um, bringing a bit of an awareness. Sometimes we don't we don't know that we have personality disorders. Sometimes we sit in depression for a period of time and it becomes normal. Uh, he has a very good approach and very well educated in regards to all of these different areas is such a broad spectrum and I say that because mental illness does not it's not so black and white Uh, it's as independent as it is if you understand like health and fitness how everybody's program in nutrition and functional training or however whatever you're doing to train is going to look so different from one to another so it's really hard to have such a cookie cutter concept uh, with that so individually Alex is trained and he's so smart and in this that he he understands that everybody's reasons for where they are uh, at the time and place uh, there's a reason for it independently everybody's story is a bit different uh, it's too hard to generalize I did Alex was like super awesome and I shot him a couple messages and he got back to me right away and you know just some more questions because I find this kind of work it's I feel like I know a lot based on my experience but I know that there's experiences happening all around me and I need to be open to that so that's why really being judgy and you know like wondering why someone's doing something it's like oh, fuck, who cares it's just it's just where they're at it's what they're doing Um, You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what's happening behind closed doors. Hey, I can vouch. I've totally struggled. I've hit rock bottom so hard. I couldn't see, I couldn't see two feet in front of me. You know, it's sad. It's really, it's a tough place to be in. Um, But I feel like, you know, these ebbs and flows are really important in our lives. 
but the what Alex is you know more specializing is those ebbs and flows just aren't going away if you're sitting in pain and suffering for a long period of time that's when you should seek you know some more help somebody with experience and I would totally suggest Alex because he totally understands this line of work I mean my god the the guy's done extensive schooling research he has he's I mean I'll put it in my show notes like what he was been what he's up to and what like his background and stuff but uh, you know he's lived a life full of experiences and he was very eager to share which I was very eager to share him basically I think these messages are super important so anyways before I ramble anymore because I really could go on and on and on about this stuff (laughs) um please welcome Alex Alexander Cameron good are y'all set ready to go ready to go when you are (laughs) Right on. Well, I just want to thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I know we've yeah. been trying to connect for a little while, and um, I am like been dying to get you on here because you have quite the stance on the work that you do and your philosophy and belief, and uh, I think they stand really strong. So um, for our members. I know you've already told me a bit about like what you do, but can you explain this to everybody else? Let's get the ball rolling here. Sure, absolutely. So I can go back into a little bit of the history or whatever. So um, grew up in uh, the Okanagan in BC way back originally and uh, went to school in Victoria and Vancouver at UVic and UBC and then um, I've always sort of straddled the line of uh, like traditional masculinity and traditional manhood and kind of pushed those boundaries. So, for example, like I grew up in high school really enjoying being part of the theater crowd and and the drama class and all that and did my Bachelor of Fine Arts at UVic, but also grew up playing rugby. And so it was always sort of an interesting dichotomy between the two things. And um, then when I got into school at UBC to do my Bachelor of Education degree, really started working with like youth at risk and really enjoying connecting with, with that crowd. And then I did some work in uh, the Vancouver's downtown east side for five years doing street outreach work, so doing harm reduction work and whatnot. How long did Lots you do that poverty. for? Five years. Five years, <laughs> so oh, there. Wow. Um, and that would have been probably like 2005, 2010-ish in around then and then it was sort of then when I thought mm, I really enjoy doing this work and uh, I either need like a lot of experience or I need a graduate degree to move on and so I went and did my master's in social work at the University of Calgary and from there it was uh, that's what got me into sort of the therapy realm and then when I graduated with that my first job was working with male victims of domestic abuse in Calgary and uh, it was really interesting stuff where it was something I didn't have a lot of exposure to or understanding of, but it was my first real sense of really seeing how men were were exposed to, you know, different views of masculinity and different ways of sort of acting that had behaviors that uh, maybe the healthiest. Um, and also being able to sort of like choosing partners that maybe weren't the healthiest. So when I was working with the male victims, for example, uh, you, you were seeing a lot of men that were with partners that really didn't treat them well, but for some reason they were sort of taking it on and felt like they didn't have a voice to, to express why they wasn't comfortable or why it wasn't what they wanted, but they had this sort of inherent need to fix and to make it better and to just like be stoic and kind of like white knuckle through the entire relationship and, and blame themselves for a lot of what they were experiencing as well, which is not uncommon for what other genders of people who have experienced violence in relationships either. I noticed had. that that so, is a big part of um, the, what is it, the hardwired 
ness of a of a male. Males typically play that role or or have the desire to play that role where they want to fix everything. Um, they have they're very good at and this is just from my experience. Very good at just putting away what's not serving them in that moment just to fix what's happening right then and there. So I find that a lot of those yeah. deep-rooted uh, deep issues don't always get dealt with. I think that it's less hardwired and more uh, socially constructed. Mm, Meaning, like when we look at kind of like what, like masculinity, for example, masculinity is a social construct. There's these inherent traits that we have applied a masculine trait to or a masculine identity to, but that doesn't mean that they're inherently male in, in how they've been created. Like that's more of a social construct, I think. Mm. So when you speak about those behaviors of ignoring things or wanting to fix things or just get through it, I don't think that's inherently a male or female thing. I think it's a lot of learned behavior. Of course. Yeah, that too. Huge role in that. Yeah. Mm. And so, you know, when you look at culturally, as an example, I was working with a, a client who is Latin American, and he was saying, you know, where I came from, all the men dance. And if you didn't dance, then there was something odd about that. But I remember growing up, and it was odd for men to dance, whereas all the guys were sort of standing around like too cool for school, and I don't. I don't want to dance. That's what the girls do. So it's just a small example where those things are just so ingrained in us culturally. <clears throat> That's and so, so I don't interesting. Know that it's, yeah, I don't know that it's a male-female thing. It's more what we're brought up as and, and how we learn to manage those things and what we learn from seeing our families and how they respond to issues and what we sort of learn is safe or unsafe to do in our own lives as well. Yeah, um, I, I have learned a lot about um, with, your, with our ancestors and how our grandparents dealt with things and um, culturally, like where they came from, you know, certain parts of the world where they didn't have a voice and a lot of that mm-hmm. behavior gets passed down to the children's children's children um, yeah. when you do these deep deep work um, exercises it's so hard sometimes to pinpoint where these behaviors really came from um, and it really does have a lot to do with just the way that parents hush things maybe don't put depth into certain issues that we are now. I think we're bringing a lot more awareness to where we've come from and what's really going on in our heads as to really ultimately move towards living a healthier, healthier life. Yeah. And there's an inherent reward to some of that as well, where it's, if I fix something, then there's some sort of reward that comes through that. So mm. we are sort of, that's reinforced when uh, there's no longer um, a conflict or there's no longer something that feels uncomfortable in my relationship because I'm able to fix it mm. or to move past it or just get it out of our lives as well. There was a, there's an author and a researcher named Brene Brown. I don't know if you've heard of her. Of course and I have. Was saying, yes. <clears throat> and she's fantastic. So she does lots of work on vulnerability, boundaries, whatnot. And I use a lot of her work in the work that I do. Um, and uh, there was a podcast she was on with Dak Shepard called Armchair Expert. And uh, one of the things that she said in that podcast that really resonated with me was she said, genetics loads the gun and environment pulls the trigger. And she was sort of speaking more around mental health and mental illness, mm-hmm. but it's so true in, in every aspect where we are such a product of our environment and what we learn and what we see. And then the environment that we're put in also allows to exacerbate how things are manifested in our lives. So for example, I was working with a psychiatrist in Alberta. And so we were talking one time about mental illness and he said, you know, if we are maybe predisposed to anxiety or maybe we're predisposed to depression 
as a person. Maybe we've got a 5% chance of, of it developing in our lifetime. And there's this idea that if we have a direct family member that's experienced depression or anxiety, that it'll, it's hereditary and it'll just manifest into our lives because our, our mother has it or our father has it. And he said to me, you know, I think it's more like if it was 5% at the beginning that we have a direct family member, then maybe it bumps up to 9% or something like that. It's less likely that it's just going to be, I'm bound to get this illness or this disorder because I had a parent with it. And I remember that hearing him say that and then this quote from Brene Brown. And the more I work in mental health, the more I see that the environment really plays such a huge role into who we become and our experiences and how we navigate those conflicts in our life, either in healthy or unhealthy ways. And I think that we're seeing a tremendous shift now where there's more awareness around how unhealthy it has been for for men and women up until now to be able to express themselves in ways that were meaningful. And there's a lot more accountability coming out. I was sort of the Me Too movement and a lot of these things where it's like, no, the things that we were doing weren't working. So what are we going to do differently now? Well, yeah, I, I can I can definitely vouch for bringing the awareness to it all. And I think it was mm-hmm. like that at one point, summer or rather, um, we just kind of uneducated ourselves in the sense I'm not too sure where we lost all that um, that focus but nonetheless right here right now is really what matters um, but I do believe that bringing these type of an awareness is you know within ourselves and culturally that it is making a huge difference in the mental health whether or not and I don't think that it is so black and white I, if I feel like you know, I feel like that, like, okay, so my belief before was, okay, instead of the pills, uh, try this, this, and this, and then maybe you won't need them. Um, I don't see it that easy anymore. I see it, I see it a lot differently, and I don't see why, even though you still have to, you medicate, I don't see why we still can't go in that awareness direction and just help ground ourselves in the sense of maybe we could pass these words along and share that share this knowledge i think it's uh very impactful yeah and making it safer for because for people to express what their struggles are and to be vulnerable in that because mental health is really a continuum it's Mm -hmm. sort of like if one end you've got mental illness the other end you've got mental wellness we all fall somewhere on that continuum and it can ebb and flow day to day week to week month to month depending on the factors that are in our lives depending on the stressors we're going through and how we may have learned to respond to those things in healthy or unhealthy ways so it's really a moving target isn't it i know a lot of people don't like using the word balance I use it a lot, but that just helps me describe what I'm talking about. But balance is always going to be imbalanced. Um, Exactly what you said, there's ebbs and flows in our lives, and depending on how we respond to certain scenarios is going to determine the outcome of it all. But um, bringing uh, an awareness to even just that makes you feel normal makes it feel like you're not mm-hmm. you're not crazy for feeling because just because you haven't been able to be consistent in this level of happiness and you're not happy all of a sudden that's not such a bad thing you know so yeah and how are you able to to respond to that and be living in that discomfort mm-hmm. and understand that it is a it's a period of time and it doesn't define who you are and I think that's one of the hard things, like when I work with clients now, so I have a private practice in Toronto that I work, and so probably 95 to 98% of my clients are male right now, nice. which is really exciting because I don't think it it isn't typical of what the population of people who are seeking therapy is. I don't think it's indicative that 95% of the people out there seeking therapy or counseling are male. Um, I don't know what that number is. I tried to look it up earlier, but I couldn't. I couldn't find a good statistic that was uh, reliable. But um, 
so as we see that and how people are responding, and it's, it is this sort of like, how do we learn to manage and what are the skills? And there are going to be times maybe when we need more assistance and times maybe when we need less assistance. Right. And to go back to your idea of normalizing, I'll often say to my clients, your experience is completely normal. And I always quantify that by saying, when I say, I'd say that's a normalize your experience, not minimize your experience. Mm. So not to say, well, that's normal. And they're like, oh, well, you're telling me that I shouldn't be here. Or you're telling me I shouldn't be upset by it. And I'm like, absolutely not. No, it's, I don't mean to minimize. Yet you also are not alone in what you're experiencing. Yeah, 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 exactly. So in scenarios for yourself, because you, you preach a lot of this, what do you do for yourself when you're hit with, you know, something that's exacerbated, uh, kind of maybe um, hit close to home or a trigger for uh-huh. you? What do you do in your practice to kind of bring yourself down to more ground level? Yeah. It's, it's interesting because recently uh, my partner and I, we've been doing more uh, yoga in the mornings and been trying to practice some mindfulness in the mornings as well. And I've noticed more so when we don't do it, when I'm not doing that daily yoga practice. And it's only, you know, we'll do like 20, 30 minutes in the morning. Uh, but when I don't do it, that's when I notice things are off. Mm. So it's it's there and you start to feel grounded, but it's hard to always be reflective and aware of when things are good. It's usually when things are out of balance or not going well that we start to notice things. And so when, when there's not as much reflective practice, when there's not as much sort of grounding and self care going on, that's when I start to feel off and I'll start to notice maybe I've got some anxious energy or I've got some, some racing thoughts or different things. And so it's a matter of being able, what am I doing differently and how can I bring myself back to sort of a a baseline that I'm comfortable at? So I use the gym for that. Uh, Like I said, the yoga practice, I'll use some different breathing techniques and some mindfulness techniques that I've found that work for me and try to incorporate them wherever I can. Uh, I work way too much, so it's not always easy to find that time. Mm. But it's important to make that time to to really be able to arrive in life the way I choose to and want to. And I'm lucky enough to have people that, that notice it and can, can call me out on it as well. But I think there's also, it's a learned skill to be able to be reflective and understand, you know, where am I at right now? Because there's generally two ways we can sort of filter things. We can filter things through our logic brain. So it's all sort of logical and that's just the way it is and ignore our emotional side. Or we can filter everything through emotion. And, you know, we've had those times where we've been in conversations with people or conflict with people and one person has completely logical side of things. The other person has a completely emotional side of things. And you don't really get very far very quickly because no one's being heard and no mm. one's being understood. And so, do you think it is a matter ability? of sitting with those? Do you think it's a matter of sitting with those feelings and not being able to work them out? Or sometimes I know, like when I when I say what's bothering me out loud, I can tend to make sense of it at times without being told what to do but do you think that 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 is the case a lot of the times I think well there's two parts there so one is when you mentioned sort of when you say things out loud you're you're getting it out I think what happens is we we tend to think that we're really good at processing things in our brain and that we're we don't need to always work through stuff but when we slow it down and start to process and talk about it, which is why talk therapy works for so many people, is because we're processing things differently. We're not so great at multitasking in our brain and coming to the realization of the answer on our own. It's more when we're working through it, and there's often times when I'll be having a conversation and I'll be sort of expressing or venting through something, and as it's coming out of my mouth, I'm almost hearing myself for the first time how I really feel about things as well, because it's processing in a different way so I think that's one component of it is yeah we do need to slow it down we do need to 
think about things differently and to get it out there and process through it by releasing it. So I think that's one part. And then the other part is to not hold it in, just to be able to be vulnerable enough and take that risk to be in that vulnerable space, to say, what's uncomfortable for me right now? What's not fitting for me right now? And what can I do about it? Or what am I willing to do about it? And or where's the the change that I think could help? Because the vulnerability is the scary part. Often we know what we need, but it's asking for it and taking the risk to put it out there. That's the scary part of doing that. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is so difficult for the majority of us? I think because vulnerability is misconstrued as weakness. And so if I say <clears throat> I need I need help with something, essentially what I'm saying is I have a shortcoming where I'm not able to do something for myself. And so the fear is that if I'm unable to do it for myself, then I'm less than. I'm less than someone else. And so I'm unable to be self-sufficient. And when you think about sort of a Western society and that sort of pioneeristic go out and do it on your own, it's completely counter to that. So asking for help essentially means weakness to a lot of people. But I think it's, it's, it takes such strength and courage to say, here's where I need help. Here's where I don't know what to do. Here's where I'm afraid. And to not be afraid of that. Do you ever have to differentiate with your clients or people between being vulnerable and complaining? Like playing the victim role and just feeling like it's them against the world? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so oftentimes, so there's two sort of relational cycles that I'll show people as a framework. One is called the drama triangle. And so there's three different roles we can take on. One is the persecutor, one is the rescuer, and one is the victim. And then that's sort of the, the less healthy cycle where we get into these roles where we're chasing each other around, and they're all about power and control. And often I'll show that to people, and they'll say, explain a little bit more and explain the roles for people, and say, you know, do you see yourself in these roles? And they can often identify roles that they take on. And that victim role in that cycle is one of, I'm not okay. Everyone else is okay. Things have to be done for me. The world happens to me. I have no power for me sort of thing. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. then there's a healthier cycle called the winner's triangle. And those roles are assertive, caring, and vulnerable. And so we want to try to shift from that victim mentality to that vulnerable place. So rather than going from a victim place where, you know, my needs aren't met, someone has to do it for me. We want to shift to a vulnerable space to say, here's where I need help. Here's where I'm unable to do it myself. Here's what I need that I don't have right now. And that's the scary part because then it's, well, we're afraid of being judged or being hurt. And it's one of the things like where you see a lot of times in relationships when people get into romantic relationships, this idea of where uh, I open up to somebody and I give them all the pieces excuse me, and all the power to love me and make me feel invincible and make me feel great and understand what they can do to lift me up. But in that, I'm also, as I show that vulnerable side, giving them the power to harm me, giving them the power to hurt me, giving them the power to crush my feelings, crush my heart. And that's the sort of like, the age-old question, is it better to have loved and lost or to not have loved at all? Because when I do love somebody, I give them both. Mm. And that's the risk we take when we get into a vulnerable space. And for some people, that risk is not worth the reward for various reasons. And here we go full circle again, where there's always another piece to this puzzle. And something that strikes, uh, something familiar to me is just creating these healthy boundaries so that mm-hmm. we are understanding when we are being so vulnerable that some people take advantage of that um, and sometimes we get too caught up in that emotion all within itself just giving 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 um, mm-hmm. so I the other part yeah I, I creating healthy boundaries has been such a big 
turnstile in my life because I was always, for me, I was always this giver and always had Uh these, um, I always knew my intentions were loving and kind, but I forgot that other part. And so, yeah, I got, I got tramped on. I felt like I was. And then, but then working through that, I had to own that. I had to take responsibility because I couldn't live, you know, more days in this upset blaming somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know. So. Yeah, you you just described that drama triangle essentially because that sort of that rescuer role is the one where we take on everyone else's problems as our own, and that's really sympathy where I'm going to feel for you, so I'm going to take it on. I'm going to make it better for you. Let me fix it. Let me make it better, which essentially is enabling. Isn't when it? we start to take on someone else's issues as our mm-hmm. own. And because they're, we're not helping them fix it for themselves, we're fixing it for them. And then that becomes exhausting. And without that, as you pointed out, that sort of boundary to say, I care, but here's what I can do and here's what I can't do. And so by setting that boundary, we're essentially saying, okay, here's what you can do or here's how you can arrive in my life and get the best of me. And here's the line that if you cross this, you no longer will get the best of me because I'm unwilling to be okay with it if you go too far. Right. But the problem with boundaries is they only work if we are able to stick to them. So I often tell a funny story about um, boundaries. And so I was out with a buddy of mine in the Okanagan probably three, four years ago. And we're out on his boat. He had his little boy out. And I've known this guy since I was in kindergarten. And uh, his, his dad, my friend, is wiping the boat down. And his kid is squirting a squirt gun over the place. And his dad asked him to stop squirting like three times. And finally I said to him, I said, hey, if you squirt your squirt gun again, I'm going to throw you overboard. And the kid stopped, looked at me, looked at dad, big grin on his face, and squirted his squirt gun. So I threw him overboard and he, he comes up out of the water and he's coughing and crying. He's like, I hate you, Uncle Alex. And uh, his dad said to him, you know, you don't really have anybody to be mad at other than yourself because mm. you were told that if you did this, then this would be the outcome. You thought about it. You smiled. You made the choice and you followed through with the action. So really, Uncle Alex, all he did was what he said he was going to do. So you can't be mad at him mm. for that. So I set my boundary and was able to voice that and say, this is the line. Now, it was also a boundary that I could stick to. He had his life jacket on. We were close to shore. I know he's a strong swimmer. His dad and I are both strong swimmers. So I knew that there was not a lot of risk in saying, this is the line. However, if I just said, if you squirt your squirt gun again, I'm going to make you eat your squirt gun, well, then it's an empty threat, right? <laughs> then it's kind of like when, when your parents yelled at you, like, we'll turn this car around. And they're like, okay, yep. Yes. You know, that so many times before we stop believing you. Yeah, totally. Totally the false and threats. So that's, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> empty, right? And that's where we have to be able to say, here is my line. But it has to be something we know when we said it, that we'll follow through on. I went to a conference once on stalking behavior in Calgary, and they were talking about, you know, when people are stalking people, and uh, the presenter said, whether you answer the first phone call or the thousandth phone call, all you're teaching that stalker is that you'll answer. Mm. So being able to be consistent with your boundary to teach the person what to expect truly is compassion to be able to say, nope, this is the way it's going to be. And then they know, because we all sort of crave, we want to know where we stand with other people. We want to know what our line is. We want to know how to to interact with them. And when it's inconsistent, that's when it makes it uncomfortable. Super uncomfortable. I, I can totally yeah. relate to that. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Interesting. Now, did this uh, course talk about children? <laughs> <laughs> and the, the enabling course. Yeah. <laughs> no they did not cover uh, the, the children component of that 
Because I feel like my that, kids that, are that, a bit that. of a stalker sometimes with me. <laughs> just can't, <laughs> just can't get away. Stalking around the house. Yeah. <laughs> no, that would be a good one. How to how to uh, deal with your with your stalking children? Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, so my my daughter's nine, my son's thirteen, mm-hmm. and oh yeah, raising them, I felt like, you know, for for the children's side of things, it. And I, f- I felt like that I could use this in the rest of my life is the consistency side of it. Um, I think children and animals are way more um, less diplomatic and just requires a lot more work. But it could say the same is being consistent in your truth and, you know, where you stand and how you want to be treated. Um, yeah. I think that plays a huge role on your relationships um, and, you know, how you, how basically you're teaching people to treat you. I think there's a yeah. huge um, value in that. Absolutely. We play such a role in teaching people how to treat us. And it's often easier with children because, or with family, because there's sort of, quote, you know, less to lose. Because it's like, well, right. they're just my children. They're going to love me tomorrow. Yeah, but we make a lot of different concessions for somebody who we have less investment in, who might be a, a dating partner or something like that, or even a friend who we've known last time. But we'll make more concessions because we're afraid to lose that relationship for whatever reason, or afraid for the fallout. But then we're putting ourselves at risk and making ourselves uncomfortable. And what does that do to us? Just as you were saying earlier, right starts to affect us negatively I'm and then getting... we're not giving that person the best of ourselves anyway so it just becomes this messy spiral where everybody's just not getting the best of anyone that's right and that's when you see the work really flourishing is when people are speaking from their truth and being vulnerable at the same time I mean when I see and hear people speaking the truth in that without the complaining and victimizing but I'm so much more drawn to hearing what that person has to say than something mm-hmm. that was scripted out and we're pretending to be somebody else um, I often get you know like in the female world females seem to have this innate ability to know what people are thinking <laughs> just kidding mm-hmm. it's not true but <laughs> It is the assumption that somebody is feeling a certain uh, a, a certain way based on their behavior. And yep. the one thing that sticks out the most for me in these types of situations is the shy one always looks like the bitch. Mm. Or, or the quiet one's the bitch one. You know, like, um, or someone who is exaggerating all of their conversations and all of their emotions and movements and I feel like having the compassion for the the part the outside person and just seeing it in a way that maybe they don't know how to be maybe they aren't energetically at your level and it could be a struggle for them on a day-to-day basis like you just you don't know um and I think these things are you know, really important because with the work that you do, I would assume that there's a lot of ups and downs and, you know, with your clients where there is struggle. And I'm going to put that across the board to all humans because life's hard. Life is hard. And you'll catch somebody on a bad day and they may not have smiled at you. But Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that it needs to harden the outsider and to not be kind and courteous from here on out just no one can be compassionate enough that somebody may have a story and you, you don't know you do not know how they woke up this morning if they had a fight with their spouse did they lose somebody in their life did they start a new job lose a new job who knows right yeah and that's where the you know so many thoughts came three things one one I want to talk about is hard is hard one is uh, about um being curious and the other one I forgot already but I'm sure it'll come back sure. but uh, you're you're right sort of that, that curiosity to be able to be like where's this coming from 
this person seems upset, this person seems angry, this person seems agitated. And how can I be curious enough to not take that on for myself and not sort of feel like I need to respond to it, but to try to understand that behavior and where it's coming from and show that compassion to ask them and say, hey, is everything okay? Because mm-hmm. you know, you're right, you don't know. Um, and I remember the, the other, the third one, which uh, was this sort of idea of, again, stolen from Brene Brown, this idea of what if people are doing the best they can? And when we are able to assume that people are doing the best they can with where they're at, it allows us to not be so uh, angry about it. I was just going to say angry would be a good way to describe it. Yeah, and offended by their behaviors. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's very rare that somebody wakes up and my partner tells me all the time when we're in traffic, <laughs> someone cuts me off. And that person didn't wake up wanting to be an asshole today. That person didn't wake up thinking they were going to come out and ruin your day. So Totally. How, how do you just give them the compassion to understand that that's where they're at and, and maybe there's something else going on? So the other thing that I wanted to touch on was this idea of heart is hard. And so there's uh, a TED Talk. And there's a, a person named Ash Beckham. And she did a TED Talk. I think it's called Coming Out of Your Closet. And one of the things they talked about in that podcast was, or not, pardon me, not podcast, TED Talk, was this idea that hard is hard. And my hard doesn't need to be ranked against your hard. That's right. And it's just, it, it is what it is. And who can, and she will go on to say, uh, who can tell me that it's harder to tell someone I went bankrupt versus telling someone I have brain cancer versus I crashed the car versus 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 it's all hard and it doesn't need to be sort of ranked against each other to say well mine's a little bit worse or that's not as bad as mine it's just no we all have hard the comparison yeah comparing from one hard to the next but I think to just have that compassion for that person going through something hard well yeah because if we're speaking on the realms of that then yeah for sure And then there's the other side of things. It's like we can, I know I can get caught up in what I'm seeing as hard. And if I'm not being totally mindful and aware, I can get really caught up in that. But Mm -hmm. the other part of that is it could be worse. Like I'm not living in poverty. I'm not living, Mm -hmm. running for my life all the time. I I always have food in my fridge. I have a car to drive. I have healthy children. Um, you know, there's always these things to be grateful for. So I think there I think I think we need to come up with a checklist. <laughs> Check off well, that list. Because, yeah. You want to practice gratitude and be able to, to remind yourself of those things you're grateful for. And at the same time allow yourself to feel when it's hard. And to not say, well, I shouldn't feel bad or I shouldn't feel agitated or I should not. It's like, I do. And how can I just honor that? And it's okay that I feel this, but I don't have to stay stuck in it. I don't have to remain if I don't want to. That I have some control to do things differently to pull me out of it. Yeah, then what about, because I find this such a beautiful um, thing when we bring awareness to a feeling and we sit and feel it and then we accept it and then we got to open our hearts to new possibilities and there's something about that process it is amazing how those problems are no longer there's this weight lifted off your shoulders and now you've created a new space for something new or better um i just i cannot believe how easy it is it takes practice, though, so I'm glad to hear that it's easy for you. Cause well, I, think I guess it wasn't always easy, but yeah, it's, it's not, it wasn't always easy because to turn that around yeah. and get out of my old habits in the way that I was raised, mm. man, that was, that was a lot of work, but now, yeah, now where I'm at, I mean, my gosh, it's, that's just it. Like sit in it, feel it, make sense of it for a moment, accept it and be open to new endeavors. Let it go. Yeah. 
the acceptance part is the hard part. And I think, like, there's a therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy, for example. It's also referred to as DBT, and it's often used for folks who who have uh, personality disorders or suicidality and whatnot for people who are really struggling. And there's the major, the main tenets of DBT are uh, interpersonal effectiveness, distress tolerance, and emotional regulation. As well, they use a lot of mindfulness through that as well. And so one of the pieces of the dialectical piece is that you can have two seemingly contradictory truths both be true. So I can feel suicidal and I can have a life worth living. Both can be true. Mm. And so how do you sit with both? But one of the skills that they teach in DBT is this idea of radical acceptance. And so this radical acceptance is around how do I accept truths as truths, facts as facts, and stop staying stuck on the fact that I don't want them to be true because that's where pain and suffering comes from, when I refuse to accept the facts. So it's different, like when we talk about acceptance, some people it's like, well, I I don't accept that. Well, acceptance doesn't mean love. Acceptance doesn't mean condoning. What it means is, you accept that it's a fact. So if I don't want to accept that the sky is blue, then I'm in for a long life of pain and suffering. (laughs) You sure are. Right. So I can either stay angry that that's not the case and fight against it every day or work toward this place of acceptance and understanding that mind, body, and heart, that yes, the sky is blue and that will not change. And I can still find a way to enjoy the sky, even though it's not the color I want it to be. Mm. And that's very simplistic and, and really quick, but that's sort of the idea of that acceptance piece. And I think we all struggle with that acceptance when it's something that we don't want to be true. But that's where we get stuck, and that's what keeps us stuck. So when oftentimes when we're experiencing emotions, they don't often last longer than 90 seconds. But we're really good at keeping doing things to keep them going aren't so, we like like bad you know i <laughs> wave a sadness for you know being broken up with or something and i'm like oh maybe i'll just go on a facebook and look at all the old pictures and maybe i'll just go through all the old text messages maybe i'll just go read all the old love letters i can do all these things to invite that feeling to stick around for a long time to keep me stuck or find a way to work through to this place of acceptance hmm do you find that, like, because you say that that's hard, do you find yeah. that um, the other thing that's hard for people is taking responsibility? Sometimes, I think. Because mm-hmm. uh, everybody's a little bit different. But I think a lot of times folks are looking for a reason for their actions. So whose fault is it that I acted this way? And that was one of the things I saw a lot when I was working in in domestic violence with the, the perpetrator side of domestic violence where it was, well, I wouldn't have done this if they hadn't have done that. Mm. And so it was a sort of like, it wasn't my fault because this person did this. It's like, okay, yes, that person yelled in your face, but who decided to push them? Well, I wouldn't have pushed them if they had, sure, I, I hear you but who's responsible for the push. And so being able to take that responsibility, especially when it was something that was sort of a negative behavior or a behavior that they're being judged on is really challenging. So when I would run groups for perpetrators of violence, uh, I remember I ran one group and there was, I think 13 or 14 people in it and uh, they all identified as male in that group. And I asked them all, do you, any of you believe that violence is the way that you want to to manage conflict in your life and not one person said yes and so they had all gotten to this place where they were in this group to work through their anger issues to work through their behavioral issues and conflict and and stress and had used these behaviors but none of them agreed that they were the behaviors they wanted to use and so that taking of responsibility was the hard part to sort of face it because there was so much shame and guilt attached to it of saying, I don't believe this is the right way to do it. And 
I come to a place where I can own this and step up to it and open up to other people and say, I want to be different and not feel judged. I guess that def- that little bit of journey would look different for everybody, would you say, mm-hmm. in that sense? Absolutely, and it's worth the safety to, to do that, right? And I think that's a huge part of it is the people around you, may, they either make it safe or unsafe for you to express those things. And then how do we make the choices to move away from or create distance or boundaries of the people that it's not safe to be vulnerable around and then invite in people who do make it safe. Interesting. But it's all easier said than done. And one of the things, uh, my younger brother went to a training a while ago and he and I were talking and uh, he said, well, there's simple and there's easy. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, well, we all know the simple things to do often to get the results we want, but that doesn't make them easy. Mm. So, like, if I want to lose weight, I need to stop eating cheeseburgers. Simple. Does that mm. make it easy? No, cheeseburgers are delicious. So that makes it hard for me to stop eating them. Right. So he would talk about these things, like, how do we make those simple things easier? And that's sort of the, the first step, is identifying what those things are, those simple steps, but then identifying the barriers to making them easy. And you know... And then how do we make them easier? Sorry, go ahead. Nope. Um, I'm, I'm, go, you go. Oh, well, I was going to say these, these transitions, uh, I just want to really put some weight to this, the fact that these transitions do take time and... I feel like a lot of people, and I even myself, I'm always going to use reflect on myself a little bit because I, I, I need to be able to speak, speak from experience when I talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but um, where, where was I going? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> See, I interrupted myself and then I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, sure, I'll come back. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. It was good, too. Uh, yeah, okay, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, if you could recap maybe, what what, what did you finish saying? Maybe I could pop it We're back. We're talking about sim- simple versus easy and how do we make the simple things easier. And just because we know the oh, simple things right. doesn't mean that it's easy to do. Right, so the transitions that those that those have can take time. Um, mm-hmm. I've gone through these transitions in my life where I was really surprised on how long it was taking. And I always actually turn that around on myself and saying, you're an idiot. You're not, you know, you're a loser. You're taking too long. You're not getting it, blah, blah, blah. Um, And it took a lot to understand that these things just take time and to really take advantage of those moments because those moments in between are the ones that's going to give you that aha moment and, you know, and then before you know it, you're going to be looking behind you, and you're going to be teaching somebody else what you learned. It's always yep. it's always a matter a matter of time before you start looking behind you, and going, "Wow, I'm I'm here now, and here I am in the future, weeks ahead of when I was so could not wait to get there, and here I am." So, um, I just wanted to put weight on, you know, the time frame of these transitions. Because I know, like, for something as simple as a weight loss, uh, even that alone can take, you know, a couple weeks just to wrap your head around, mind you, yep. another few weeks just to break some bad habits. Yeah. And how do you take steps? Because I think that's the other part where a lot of us say this, it should be different. Um, well, yeah, okay, maybe it should be, but what are you actively doing to move in that direction? And what are the small steps you can take every day to move you closer to that direction? Because I think there are a lot of times where it's, well, I want to be different, why is it taking so long? But if we were to step back and say, so what am I actively doing to make change? We might be surprised if we took stock of what we think we're actively doing to find out that I'm not really doing much. I'm just Mm. spending a lot of time thinking about it but we're not taking any steps to what's the um, the percentage amount of times we think of the same thoughts every day what is that I don't know I heard it was like something like 90% of our thoughts is the same thought 
if you're not well, doing, I can imagine. yeah if you're yeah. not if you're not doing this kind of work because I know that since I've been doing that kind of work those things do not enter my brain 90% of the time they just don't mm-hmm. but I would lose sleep yeah. over it I would stress about it all day uh, I would think about it when I was driving when I was eating and then finally something would distract me and I wouldn't be thinking about it <laughs> yeah and it's that emotional response that's attached to those things and trying to figure out like well what is that emotion telling me and where is that emotion coming from and how do I stop responding to the emotion and start moving in the direction that I want to be right move towards the person that you want to be I like that sorry go ahead um no, I think I lost my, my train of thought this time. I'm sorry. I get like, <laughs> no, no, okay. it's at the tip of my tongue and sometimes I just got to get it out. <laughs> yeah. But it was just, I was just, yeah, I was reflecting sort of on like, you're like, we get in those thoughts and we're thinking about all those things, but if we could think, well, what's one thing I can do today that I believe will move me further in the direction I want to be? And it doesn't have to be a big step, but rather than getting stuck in the rumination and just thinking about the thing, how do we take that small step to move forward? And what would that step be? What, what, what would you say? What would you tell somebody as far as like those steps? What would they look like? Well, the steps are different for everybody, obviously, and, and dependent on the issue. But I think for, for one, one of the things that I often talk to with my clients is, in my first session when they come in, I'll say, what are your best hopes for coming to see me? What would you want to be different in your life as a result of coming to see me for therapy? Mm. And it's kind of flipping the the script a little bit rather than saying, what do you want to come in and complain about? Because I think that's often what people think when they think therapy or counseling. I just go and I just talk about my problems and maybe I get advice or told to or how we say things plays a huge role in the belief system that we're trying to recreate in the terms of Mm -hmm. talking what we don't want versus what we do want because I think we can really get held up on the negative energy and what we don't want and we know what we don't want but it is very hard once you've been in there for so long to turn it around be like hey what is it that you do want in your life how can you bring yep. how can you bring abundance and yep. i know that that can be that transition alone was difficult for me at one point and i, I honestly mm-hmm. i sat with that question i felt like it was for hours but it was only a few minutes but still my brain was so racked in the sense that well i guess i do deserve things that i do want what is it that i want yep. what brings what brings fulfillment and happiness Oh my God. And sometimes it's, it's hard so to good. feel that we do deserve that. Right. And even if we feel we deserve it, to identify what it is, it's a huge challenge for many of us. Yeah. Isn't it? But then, so, yeah, deserving. Oh God, here's another topic. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
so true though because it's it's how do we know we deserve it and then you know then a lot of people say well if i knew that then i wouldn't be here i'm like well only you can know what you want only you can know what you want your life to look like or what's going to bring you fulfillment and happiness we can figure out how to get there together so i will come with you on that journey and we'll get there that way however i can't tell you what you want i can't tell you what brings you joy i can't tell you what brings you happiness what brings you fulfillment that has to come from you and through our conversations we can figure that out but it's not something that i can tell you what no no and i think through conversation meditation trying new things get comfortable with being uncomfortable um, will help really determine what it is is true for you and what you desire in your life. Um, yeah. I feel like I feel like like we're almost at an hour here. I we could totally go on and on and on about this because I, I feel <laughs> yeah. like there's so many directions we could talk about this because there's just so many facets to bring a fulfilling, happy life. And Mm -hmm. you really nailed it in the coffin with a lot of what you said. You brought so much value to not take away from people's, um, the issues that are happening in their life, but normalizing it to know that you're not alone in these thoughts Mm -hmm. and, and there are ways to work through them. Um, but, um, I know cause you're not local. You're, you're in Toronto. Is that right? Yep. Yep. How could, how can people reach you? Because I know that you probably, do you do a lot of work over the phone or the internet? Is it all one-on-one um, Right now, mostly what I'm doing is in person, a little bit of phone work, and I didn't find it great. And mm. that's me owning that piece because it was hard for me. I really pick up on the Oh, you're cutting out, Alex. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yep. Um, I tried doing phone work when I was in Calgary, and I, I, it, I wasn't good at it because I was finding that I'm always watching people to, to see how they're moving and what they're reacting to and watching all the nonverbal cues. Mm, what about when Zoom? It's, when it's time. Zoom. When it's time to say something, when they're processing, giving them space. So the uh, I've been exploring potentially doing uh, some online stuff, but um, we'll see where that goes. Uh, so right now I'm, I don't have the online therapy, but that being said, if people are wanting to reach out and just kind of like touch base, um, I've got a website. It's uh, alexandercameron.ca. I write a, a blog on there. And so lots of different interesting topics that I touch on, trying okay. to keep current with the news stuff, but you know, things about masculinity, of course, are a special interest of mine mm-hmm. uh, as well. I'm on Instagram and my Instagram handle is the tattooed therapist. And uh, so I'm consistently trying to put up topical things on there as well, as well uh, some tattoos. From, from I love your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I do. I think it has a very unique twist and it's very creative. Um, especially I'm, I'm a creative myself and I think that your angle is very tasteful. Um, okay. So is there anywhere else that they can find you? Those are your main platforms. I can put it all on your show notes. Yeah, no, my website and, um, and Instagram, probably the two people can contact me through my website as well. My email address is very easy. It's Alex at alexandercamera.ca. And, uh, if people are, you know, wanting to reach out or whatnot, um, there's, I also, this is really like an aside in many ways. There's, a. Uh, a group called Next Gen Men. They're a nonprofit agency that I do some volunteer work with. And we have monthly meetings here in Toronto. They're based out of Calgary. And so they have this event called Wolfpack. And so it's once a month. They have one in Calgary, one in Edmonton, one in Toronto. And we just meet once a month to talk about whatever topics seemingly 
is fitting for the time. So we started this a last summer in Toronto, and we did one on emotional literacy, we did one on stress, we did one on competition, we redid one on mental health. We did one recently about uh, like the journey of becoming a next-gen man, and it's basically a space for men to have conversations they may not traditionally be having, but open to people of all genders. And mm. it's, it's a drop-in, it's free, and uh, they are starting one in Vancouver as well. Oh, awesome. So that might be a really interesting space for people to go and kind of check out and have some more of these conversations as well. I love it. Okay, well, we'll put that on the show notes. I want to thank you so much, Alex, for coming on. Just stay on the line for a second. And we just want to thank all of our viewers for uh, listening to the podcast. Alex is a very talented human being, and I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. And uh, I'd love to have you on again. We'll do yeah, this again. I feel like I'm, I'd love to. Same thing as what you were saying earlier. I feel like we just kind of touch the surface and there's there's so many more avenues to go down so I could talk for hours so I'd love to come on again I love it great okay Alex uh, we'll just cut her off here and thanks for listening everybody ciao for now thank you I hope you enjoyed the show thank you for listening uh, if you are really enjoying what I'm putting out there, you can rate and review this podcast right on Apple Podcasts or iTunes as well. You can rate and review there. Um, this will help me in my rate and review so it will show up. So when people want to find something on personal development or fitness, this will pop up. Also, if you find me on Instagram, you can shoot me a like and a follow. If you want to DM me any questions, I will certainly respond and respond to everybody. I love my listeners, so I will treat you with just as much love as you treat me. Um... Thank you. So I just giving all my loves and hugs and kisses to everybody who is supporting me because this is this is just a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying this. Okay, love you all. Take care.